So my wife teaches 4K at Emmanuel Lutheran School, and uh, there's something very special about uh, children, and I love hearing the stories. And she was sharing uh, a story of how she showed uh, her class the video of the Easter story. And there was a four-year-old boy who was watching the Easter story, and when the uh, crucifixion scene came, this four-year-old began to cry and began to weep when he realized that Jesus died on the cross. You see the, the beauty in a child understanding the gospel. And then as the moments continued and we get to the end of the story of the resurrection, that same boy who was full of tears began to shout and cheer that he is alive. Weeping turned to joy. That's the theme of the Christian life. It's also the theme of the passage we're going to look at today. Weeping turned to joy. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Revelation chapter 5 as we're going to see this weeping turned to joy. In this passage, we have three stories. Three stories in one passage that I want to cover this morning. And the first story we see in Revelations chapter 5 is the story of the Lamb. The story of the Lamb. Let's look at the first four verses of Revelation chapter 5. It says this. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. So if you remember from two weeks ago, we had a vision of God the Father on the throne in the heavenly throne room, and he has in his hand this scroll. There's a scroll in the right hand of God the Father, and the scroll has writing on both sides of the scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. What is this scroll? Most scholars uh, believe that the scroll is all of human history and existence in the eyes of God. The unfolding of God's redemptive plan and how he will transform our current existence into his glorious eternal reign. It's human existence for all time and how he's going to roll this out. It's the unfolding of the future. To God, it's the unfolding of human history for all time for us in this time and space, it's what is supposed to come. And the angel cried, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to take all of human existence and bring it to the end of what God intended for the first place? Who is worthy to control and unfold the future of human existence? Who is worthy to bring all human history to a close as we know it and transform it into what is to come, the promised new heavens and new earth? And John said he wept and he wept because no one was found worthy to bring human existence to its full crescendo. John felt the tragedy of that. This would mean, if no one opened that scroll, that human history and existence has no meaning, no purpose, 
or no resolution. How hopeless and tragic of a state that would be. This tells us, listen to this, listen to this. Life without God is meaningless. Life without God is meaningless. And John felt the weight of that and he wept and he wept. And then look what happens in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is one worthy to open the scroll. There is one worthy to unfold all of human history and bring forth God's redemptive forever plan for all his creation. And at the realization of this, you know what happens? Weeping turns into joy. Weeping turns into joy. This is the heart of the story of Revelation. It is also one of the greatest themes of the Christian life that weeping turns into joy. Suffering turns into glory. And we're going to get more into that later. Why is he worthy? Because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, it says, and he is the root of David. Let's explore those two themes. First of all, lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was given rule of all the tribes over the 12 tribes of Israel, and the lion represents strength, represents power, represents conquest. He will conquer Satan once and for all, and evil and suffering and pain will be done away with. His glory and power will reign forever and ever and ever throughout time beyond what we know of this day into the new heavens and the new earth. It says he's also the root of David, the Messiah, the wise ruler chosen by God. This is a figure of strength and wisdom. But what qualifies him to open the scroll is surprising. John is hearing about this conquering, this lion, this wise ruler, lion of Judah, root of David. He's picturing probably in his mind this vision of power and greatness before him. And it's that, but not in the way he seems because he turns and he looks over his shoulder, ready to be taken back, ready to fall over from the one who is worthy and to see this wise lion Messiah. And he turns over his shoulder and instead of seeing this wise lion Messiah, he sees a slaughtered lamb. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. This is a symbolic, gory picture of the one who tasted death on our behalf, the one who embraced failure, death, and loss. And instead of a lion who conquers, we have a lamb who dies and conquers. 
Instead of just a lion that conquers, we have a lamb who dies and conquers. This isn't the first time John experienced this. When he was, Jesus was on earth, John was one of the followers, one of the disciples. And they expected Jesus, after they saw his miracles, after they saw everything he's doing, they expected him to go and conquer and take over the Roman Empire and set them up to be the rulers. But instead he went to the cross and the lamb died instead of conquering. They saw the lamb dying and then conquer. And this confused many people. And we see this theme throughout human history. Strength is not where we expect it to be. Strength, in fact, ended up being where we never would have expected it to be. Victory looks different in God's eyes. He travels through paths of suffering to get to victory. God's theology of power is you must die first. In the Christian life, victory is in death. This is the path our Savior Jesus walked. This is the path he calls his church to walk until he comes again. Jesus calls us to be followers who die, who deny ourselves. What does this mean? Does this mean a physical death? Maybe for some, but more importantly, what I think this is meaning is that when we follow Jesus and deny ourselves, it means putting Jesus first and foremost in our life, in every earthly blessing, every earthly experience, every earthly desire falls second to that. When we put Jesus first, it's a death blow to our ambitions, to our desires. And we have to die to Christ and allow him to bring the resurrection to us. It is dying to ourselves that we have power, freedom, and true life. In fact, I would say the only way a human being experiences true power, freedom, and life is through dying to Christ. Realizing our lives are not our own, but they belong to him. A few weeks back, a friend of mine, Alfredo Abreu from Portugal, was here preaching. Some of you may remember that. And Alfredo's an amazing man of God who's taught me so much. And a lot of people don't know this about Alfredo, but he uh, has received amazing amounts of tr biblical and spiritual training. He has been mentored by people like John Stott, Eugene Peterson, John Houston. Uh, he could easily get a job in any Bible college and seminary in the United States, and he's been offered those things. And his life would be so much easier if he said yes, moved his family to the United States, and began just working here. He'd make more money, he'd be more comfortable, and what he's doing now is on a really uh, tight, tight budget, ministering to the least and the lost or the lonely of a large city in Europe where there's a lot of spiritual darkness, his life would be easier and all he had to do is say yes to some of these job offers he had in the United States. And when I asked him, Alfredo, why don't you do that? Why don't you say yes and come to the United States? His answer to me as he looked me in the eyes was, because my life is not my own. I don't get to decide and make all the decisions for my life. My life belongs to Christ. And Christ says, I stay here. 
That's a denying of self. That's a putting Jesus above all of our earthly desires and comforts and the things we would want. And that's what we see in this picture of who Christ is, what he calls us to do. Because if he walked through that, why would we, his people, not be called to do such a thing as well? The irony here is the slaughtered lamb is not dead, but very much alive. Because death could not hold him. It says that his conquering is what qualified him to open the scrolls. He beat death. And we see that he takes the scroll in all power. And we see all power with the symbols here. All the sevens, seven horns. Horns always symbolize power in the Bible. Seven eyes, all full of knowledge. Seven spirits, as the Holy Spirit is with Jesus, and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into the world in John 14. This lamb conquered. That's what makes him worthy. He conquered sin, evil, and death on a cross. Look at verse 8. And when he took the scroll, the 24 living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is a testimony that Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is being worshipped like, just like we saw God the Father worshipped in Revelation chapter 4. Now we see him worshipped in the same way. Elders bow down. All created and redeemed humanity bows. And then John interprets the next symbol for us. This gold bowl of incense are the prayers of God's people. The prayers of the people, the prayers we pray in this day, are like a sweet aroma to God. There's power in our prayers. And look at verses 9 to 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe, language, and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on earth. Back in chapter 4, we saw a song being sung in the heavenlies, a song of creation. Now we see a new song being sung. It's a song of redemption. That we are forgiven for our sins, bought with the blood of Jesus on the cross, and raised and brought into relationship with God. This is a summary of the entire gospel. A ransomed people. And this isn't just for one group of ethnicity. This is for all peoples, plural, all ethnic groups. It's a fulfillment of Psalm 67 that says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known in the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. That word nations and peoples mean all ethnic groups. It's not talking about geographic nations. It's talking about all ethnicities. And we see all ethnicities brought into one united kingdom before the throne. Created, redeemed, united in worship. Every redeemed person is a priest before God. And they will reign with him in the new heavens and new earth when he comes back. And notice they will reign forever and ever. Also notice, as this is talking about the new heavens and new earth, after Christ comes back, it's a picture of that. 
The hope for the Christian is not heaven. The hope for the Christian is not heaven. The hope for the Christian is the new heaven and new earth. Heaven, we will be with Jesus, but there's something greater even than that. And that's when he comes again and he establishes the new heaven and the new earth in this place and it will go on forever and ever and we will be with him and share with his reign. That's the blessed promise, the blessed hope for the Christian. That's what we set our heart on. Look at verses 11 to 14. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the, el- and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and they worshiped. What a picture. All created, redeemed human beings. All created angelic beings, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, singing the song of creation and redemption, worshiping, filled with joy, filled with awe in the presence of God. This is one of the most awe-inspiring passages in all of Scripture. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's happening right here. In the new heavens and the new earth, God's perfect will and kingdom will take place. But I want you to notice something. The name of Jesus does not appear anywhere in that text, does it? In fact, in Revelation, the name Jesus only appears 14 times in the entire book. Contrast that with the fact that the lamb, that phrase, the lamb, appears double that, 28 times. And the other place that you hear the lamb the most, other than the book of Revelation, is the Gospel of John. John wrote Revelation, John wrote the Gospel of John, and he has this concept of the lamb. And I believe what John is doing is he wants to connect the work with Jesus on earth going to the cross and the reality of the sacrificial system with the one who's the conquering king and who comes in the future. The Lamb of God is the story of the Lamb going to the cross to take on your sin and my sin and to pay for the penalty that was due ours and the one who rules and reigns and will rule and reign forever and ever. That's the story of the Lamb. There's another story we need to look at here and it's the story of time. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. So he takes the scroll, he opens it. The Lord of all time is opening the scroll of human history. Our forever future is being unfolded. What another amazing scene. This is our blessed hope, the gospel fulfilled 
and we could be at peace because the one who holds our future is the conquering Lamb of God. And he's the only one worthy. And you look and you see he's opening up and we say with anticipation, this is going to be great. This is going to be so great. And look at verse 2. I looked and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. And we stop and say, wait, what? This is going to be great, but maybe not just yet. At first glance, this rider on a white horse looks like Jesus, but it's not Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark 13, 5 to 7, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. I'm going to unpack that as we continue through Revelation. When the first seal of human history is broken, the rider on the white horse is not Jesus. We're not reading about Jesus in verse 2. We're reading about one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse going forward. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then he opened the second seal. I heard a second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another with a large sword was given to him. First and second horse's mission is to take peace from the earth. Jesus is rolling out the end of human history and the beginning of the future is no peace on earth. Not peace, but a sword. Verses five and six. Then he opened the third seal and I heard a third living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a black horse. Its rider held a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do no harm to the oil and the wine. This is not blessing, this is curse. What is happening here? Look at verse seven and eight. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the, four living, of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was, fo was following after him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. The seal was broken. This pale horse went through. You can imagine John's confusion and disorientation. First, he just saw this amazing conquering lamb. He grabbed the seals, be found worthy. He opens the seals, and then what comes out is death and no peace. The scroll of human history and existence begins to unfold and what comes out is not blessing, but misery. The four horsemen are not bringing peace and prosperity. They're bringing war and famine and death. What is going on? Don't miss this. But what's going on here is a description of the life we live in the world today. 
we need to understand that the first four seals are not the beginning of final judgment, but the revealing of the way life is in our current world today. And isn't that true? Life today in our fallen state is a life of war and famine and death, suffering and pain. Just when we thought glory, we are brought back to the reality, to this present reality before his return. The picture we see is glory in heaven and misery on earth, but this is life as we know it today as we wait for his return. Life in the fallen world. We see pictures of what goes on in Ukraine, pictures of what happened yesterday in Buffalo, New York, and when I see these things, my heart breaks for the common people. One could say, why should we pray? If this is what's supposed to happen and what's laid out for God, why do we pray for peace in these places? The short answer to that question is because God told us to. We continue to pray because God said to pray, and we have no idea what goes on totally when we pray. We just read that when we pray, our prayers are like an amazing, sweet-smelling incense of aroma. So I do believe our prayers make a difference even in the most broken, dark places and the things that we experience in this world. But the balance between what is God's sovereign plan and our responsibility will never be solved in this side of heaven. He calls us to pray and we pray. That doesn't mean every prayer that we pray will get answered the way that we want. God knows best. We have no idea what's going on in the side of heaven. But it's good in some ways that we don't get everything we want in prayer. Prayer isn't like a genie with a lamp and we have three wishes and whatever we pray we get is what we want. There's things I prayed for that I look back and say, thank God that didn't happen. And we're going to see next week a prayer that was prayed years and years ago that we're going to all thank God wasn't answered. You see, he's sovereign and he knows what is best because he is good. Regardless of what we experience in this life, God is good and he sees a vision beyond what we can imagine. The Psalms are known as the prayer book of God's people. And if you look at the Psalms, what I love is they pray everything under the sun, good and bad and ugly and destruction of enemies. And they, they throw it all up there and just let God sort it out. That's a great picture of how we are to pray as God's people. And prayer is not just talking. Prayer is being with God. So we must be people of prayer. But when we see the suffering and the heartache and the fallenness of our world, it's a reminder that we live in a fragile world. In a moment, any of us could experience pain and fear and trial. And that is because these four seals have been broken. The unfolding of the scroll in the first four seals is not saying someday in the future these four horsemen will ride and bring destruction. Rather, this is a picture of our current reality today. Jesus said it's not the end, but the start of the end, and this is so important. Often as things are presented sequentially in the book of Revelation, it's kind of happening all at once. 
We like to pack it sequentially in our Western mind, but in this symbolic literature, it's all happening at once. So it's not like one horse went, the second horse went, all four went together. This is the reality of the evil in our present age. And Jesus is not bringing that misery to an end immediately. And we're going to find out why next week. But this leads to another great truth that we have to grab as God's church, and that is this, that there's first suffering and then glory. We want glory now. We want heaven on earth. We want everything to be the way we dream it should be. But the Christian life is suffering now, glory later. And we see that in everything God did since the fall of creation. Jesus and his followers experienced this. The way of Jesus is suffering to glory. When Jesus was on earth, his followers thought glory now. Then all of a sudden the cross came. But then after the cross came the resurrection. Glory after suffering. That's the story of the lamb. That's the story of time. And I just want to close with the final story. And that's the story of your life today. How does this whole story intersect with your life? Are you experiencing suffering, waiting for glory? Do you see that all of human history is unfolding? That God is moving? When we see the horrible things happening around us, that we can rest in the fact that it's under the control of the awesome, conquering one who is worthy enough to roll out human existence, who has a plan, who's bringing all these things into full fruition when he will rule and reign forever and it'll be the most amazing thing we can think of. No evil, no suffering, but peace and just being with him and what we always dreamed paradise to be will be there forever and ever and ever in this meantime is just a blip on the radar screen. I hope this morning you see something bigger than your life in the here and now. I hope this morning you're attaching your life to something bigger than the here and the now because there's something much, much bigger taking place than what you see with your human eyes in this world. God's ultimate purpose and reign is moving forward and it's moving toward an end. And we don't know when, but things are in place. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you following Jesus with your whole heart? Surrender your total being to him. Meet with him. Follow him. Embrace him. Love him. And say, God, no matter what happens on this world, you are worthy and I will follow you. Let's pray to that end. Jesus, we acknowledge you are the only one worthy to roll out human history and bring this chapter of time and place to its final place in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes 
that as you call us to walk in this world, being a representative of you, praying and making a difference for you, that we would do so with the reminder of the blessed hope we have. That one day you will rule and reign on this earth and there will be no more suffering. There will be no more sadness. There will only be glory. And all the glory will go to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.